Ukraine opens an investigation into a deadly attack that killed 19 of its soldiers during a ceremony honoring their service. The shelling has sparked a wave of criticism among Ukrainians on social media regarding the decision to hold a ceremony in a location so close to the front line where Russian reconnaissance drones could easily spot the crowded gathering. Plus, expectations of Ukraine's counteroffensive against Russia's invasion have not been as successful as hoped. So what might lie ahead? What we're seeing on the battlefield right now, that is not the end state, uh, and that is not the end-all, be-all. And later in the program, an update on a Russian-American journalist being held in Russia. Today is Monday, November 6th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening. I'm Lori London in Washington. Ukraine on Monday launched a criminal investigation into the military officers who organized a troop-honoring ceremony that was hit by a Russian missile strike, killing 19 soldiers in one of the deadliest single attacks reported by Ukrainian forces. We hear more from Associated Press correspondent Charles De Ledesma. The number is one of the highest Ukrainian military death tolls for a single attack through the war. The probe aims to hold accountable military officials who organized an event for the rocket forces and artillery day near the front line where a large number of soldiers had gathered for an award ceremony. The shelling has sparked a wave of criticism among Ukrainians on social media regarding the decision to hold a ceremony in a location so close to the front line where Russian reconnaissance drones could easily spot the crowded gathering. I'm Charles Dilodesma. The investigation announcement came as officials said Russian drone and missile strikes in the city of Odessa wounded eight people and damaged an art museum that is part of a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and satellite photos showed damage done by a Ukrainian missile strike to a Russian naval ship. I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kiev for further details on all of it. It was a pretty brutal weekend overall in Ukraine as far as Russian attacks. I know there were a, a, a couple of really deadly situations. Yeah, quite a lot had happened over the weekend. Russian forces hit so soldiers of the Ukrainian armed forces who had gathering for an award ceremony in the Parisia region next to the frontline area. So it was an award award ceremony for the soldiers. And during this award ceremony, Russian forces attacked soldiers with Iskander missile. At this point, we know that at least 19 soldiers were killed during this attack. Ukrainian President Zelensky sent condolences to the families and he said that this could have been avoided this attack. And and the Ukrainian security service announced an opening of the investigation to find out how this was possible. First, that such ceremony was taking place so close to the front line. And second, who probably had anything to do with giving information to the Russian side about this uh, gathering uh, to take place. I understand there was also a lot of... There, there was more than that tragedy happening. Uh, yes, you're right. Uh, second most tragic event happened in the city of Odessa. And in general, over the weekend, the south part of Ukraine was under quite uh, quite an intensive attack, particularly Odessa and Odessa region. Over the night, Russian forces attacked southern regions with different type of missiles, including Onyx missile, Iskander-M, X-31, X-59. So basically anything you could have imagined 
imagine probably. Uh, and when we have confirmation from the Odessa authority that it was a heat in the central part of Odessa and also at the preserved industrial building, several residential buildings and a museum of the art museum in the historical part of the city were damaged. What is interesting is that this museum was supposed to celebrate its 124th birthday today on Monday. But at this point, we have footage and images from the museum. It has quite a heavy, heavy damages. Also, Russian forces used drones to attack thousand regions of Ukraine and particularly to attack the the warehouses and unloading equipment for grain as well as the port facilities of the region. And lastly, it sounds like Ukraine destroyed a modern Russian warship. Yes, the news was just confirmed by the Ukrainian Air Forces that Ukrainian Air Force carried out successful airstrike uh, on the city of Kerch in the occupied Crimea. Ukrainian commander of the Air Force uh, confirmed that the Ukrainian army managed to destroy a very modern Russian caliber cruise missile carrier. This uh, cruise missile is used to attack Ukrainian territory with caliber missiles and it's considered a very successful operation by the Ukrainian army. This uh, was this was a direct hit of the shipbuilding plant in the city of Kerch and uh, we have confirmation of the heavy damage of this missile carrier. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. Thank you so much. Thank you. Amid Russia's assaults over the weekend, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen was in Kyiv meeting with President Zelensky just days ahead of a key report on Ukraine's membership into the EU. In a press conference standing next to Zelensky, she praised Ukraine's efforts for reform. I want to tell you how impressed we are by the reforms you've made in the midst of a war. You should never forget you are fighting an existential war. And at the same time, you're deeply reforming your country. You have reached many milestones, reforming your justice system, curbing the oligarch's grip, tackling money laundering, and much more. The EU assessment due on Wednesday is expected to note how far Ukraine has advanced in fulfilling various economic, legal, and other criteria to clear the way for accession talks in December. Von der Leyen said she's confident Kyiv can meet the goals set for moving forward. And I know that you are in the process of completing outstanding reforms. If this happens, and I'm confident... Ukraine can reach its ambitious goal of moving to the next stage in the accession process. The EU's 27 members are due at a summit in December to decide whether to allow Kyiv to begin accession negotiations, which would require unanimous backing. The European Union Commission also proposed another $53 billion in aid for Ukraine. The announcement comes as Ukraine's military readies for another winter at war with Russia and Ukrainians brace for another season of cold temperatures and possible Russian attacks on their power grid. VOA's Arash Arabasadi has more. Firefighters battle ablaze after what Ukraine described as a Russian drone attack on the city of Kharkiv. No word on casualties. Ukraine says this strike was part of a massive drone campaign early Friday hitting critical infrastructure in the country's south and west. A chilling reminder of last year's attacks as winter approaches and temperatures drop. Russia's drone campaign followed a video released Thursday by Ukraine claiming to show Ukrainian forces deploying drones of their own against advancing Russian armored vehicles. VOA cannot independently verify the location or date of the video. Ukraine says the drone strikes were near the city of Avdivka in the Donetsk region. 
The pre-war population of 30,000 dropped to about 1,500, and as Russian forces moved to encircle Avdivka, Ukraine's regional police released video of officers evacuating the last civilians from nearby towns. They captured an exchange between an elderly mother and her son in which he tells her to leave and there's no water, no bread, nothing. The woman responds, leave me alone. Ukraine's leadership and military continue pushing for more sustained international support and advanced weaponry. Ukraine further seeks EU and NATO membership. It was amid this backdrop that European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen visited the capital Kyiv for a joint news conference with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Von der Leyen said the Commission would recommend another $53 billion in aid from EU member states to Ukraine. Just days earlier in Berlin, EU foreign ministers met to discuss future expansion of the bloc. Germany's Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock expressed confidence that Ukraine would gain membership after a vote in December, adding, we want to see Ukraine a member of our European Union. Back on the front lines in Ukraine's Donetsk region, soldiers staffing artillery say they've noticed an uptick in Russian artillery use over the last month. Something the South Korean intelligence service blames on its northern neighbor after alleging Pyongyang provided Moscow with more than a million shells. It's all adding up to a situation wearing down on soldiers and civilians alike. A lot of people, of course, in the world are tired. Of course, it's understandable. Somebody tired on the battlefield, somebody tired uh, on their works and somebody tired abroad, they want to come back home to their husbands, to their soldiers, to these guys, women and, and children, somebody tired from European leaders to support Ukraine. Yes, of course, because long war. For soldiers like those serving in the 67th Mechanized Brigade, who report 20-hour-long firefights with very little rest between, that long war hits home. And diplomatic reinforcements, albeit potentially around the corner when the EU votes on Ukraine's accession in mid-December, aren't coming fast enough. Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was interviewed over the weekend by NBC's Meet the Press, where he addressed a number of issues, including the Israeli war with Hamas, taking the focus off Russia's war in his country. Of course, Russia is very happy with this war. They don't count how many children were killed there. They don't think about the flag or nationality. Also in the interview with NBC's Meet the Press, Zelensky acknowledged there have been difficulties in the war now in its 21st month and that Kyiv has yet to achieve major successes in its counteroffensive, but he disputed comments in an article by Ukraine's military commander-in-chief, Valery Zaluzhny, that the war had reached a stalemate. For further analysis on the situation, I spoke with Doug Klein policy analyst for Razum Ukraine, which means together for Ukraine. President Zelensky's comments over the weekend on NBC's Meet the Press, responding basically to one of his top generals' recent comments that Russia's war in Ukraine has basically hit a stalemate. He pushed back on those comments. What is your perspective on his pushback of that and where the truth lies? Is it at a stalemate? Is he trying to ensure that support continues and people don't think it's just going nowhere? Or where do you think things are right now? So I think that at this point, it 
is fair to say that the counteroffensive has not gone as planned, and that Zeluzhny's remarks that some massive breakthrough and retaking of a large swath of occupied territory, like we've seen in previous counteroffensives, it's probably not going to happen in the remainder of this year. But that doesn't mean that the war is at a stalemate. And I think that that's a lot of what President Zelensky is trying to do, to, to reassure Western audiences that what we're seeing on the battlefield right now, that is not the end state, and that is not the end-all, be-all. One of the big things that I think Zelensky is trying to remind us is that what happens on the battlefield, it really is determined in, in quite a, a large extent by what happens in Washington. What kind of aid is provided to Ukraine, and in how much and when it arrives. We've seen that the provision of things like Western main battle tanks and Attackums long-range cruise missiles, they can have a pretty significant impact on the battlefield. But much of the disappointing results that we've seen from this counteroffensive can in part be blamed on the very late provision of these things. If Ukraine had received Attackums missiles before the counteroffensive started, then breaking through these deeply entrenched Russian lines, it may have gone very differently. And so I think that something that what Ukraine's leadership is trying to communicate to Western policymakers is what has happened now in this counteroffensive, that's not the end. And the choices that we make in the coming months will determine how next year goes. Uh, it, it is not already predetermined. We can make these choices now. Do you have any idea where you think things are heading? I think that there are a lot of open question marks at this point. Ukraine has shown that it has the ability and the will to win. They just need the tools to do so. In Washington, there remains steadfast bipartisan support for Ukraine. But there is a lot of power on new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, to determine how much aid Ukraine gets. He's previously voted voted against aid for Ukraine several times, uh, but he's also signaled and said quite explicitly that Ukraine is not going to be abandoned and we are going to continue to support them. So there, we've seen you know, reports coming that uh, there's a lot of private pressure on him coming from the White House, uh, as well as from congressional Republicans and Democrats, pushing him to move swiftly on aid to Ukraine and, and get Ukrainians these tools. And so I think that that is going to be one of the key efforts in the coming weeks for there to be aid to Ukraine at this time. Uh, now, there are, of course, a lot of larger questions about what happens next year, especially during what will be a hyper-partisan presidential election. And of course, the Israel-Hamas war, the impacts of that on the war in Ukraine, Russia's war on Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky had a few words to say that, you know, Russia's delighted in it. It's a distraction from what's happening there. Do you think that the tides will shift to a more balanced conversation in the public about both situations and how they may be interconnected? I think both situations matter. And, you know, the United States, especially under President Biden, has set out and said that, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And so that, that mission statement means we should be be able to handle both of these situations at the same time and, and meet our obligations to our allies and our friends. That being said, I think that Zelensky is right that this is a gift to Putin in that Russia has no chance right now of winning on the battlefield and defeating Ukraine's military and toppling Ukraine's democratically elected government like it wants to do. The best hope for Putin is to wait us out. That Western aid that Ukraine gets is critical 
to holding back the Russians. And Putin's best hope is that here in Washington, here in Western countries, we get tired of supporting Ukraine. We get distracted by other things. We are unable to, to maintain focus on Ukraine. Our own political divisions go, they grow, and we get too dysfunctional at home to be able to help Ukraine uh, abroad. And that is, I think, his, his best hope, that after we get distracted like this and, and dial back support for Ukraine, then it may give Putin an opening to do you know, what he tried to do on February 24th last year. And so with regards to Israel and Hamas, this is something that I think, you know, it's of course the United States needs to pay attention to this and to handle this crisis, uh, but it cannot be at the expense of Ukrainian lives. Doug Plain, policy analyst for Rosam for Ukraine. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. As we've been reporting, Russian drones have been targeting grain storehouses in central Ukraine, which farmers there say is an attempt to harm the country's infrastructure and economy. From Ukraine's Odessa and Cherkovsky regions, Anna Kostuchenko has the story. These grain facilities in the city of Uman in Ukraine's Cherkasa region were targeted early last month by Russian drones, says the chairman of the Ukrainian Agrarian Council, Andriy Bekun. He was in town on the night of the attack. On this place was uh, seven rockets and they arrived to seven warehouses where was a storage of grain. And it was, no one can say it's just a mistake, because it was 11 actually rockets, four of them were nearby this territory and seven directly to this territory. Dekun believes Russia is shelling Ukrainian grain storage facilities on purpose. Even so, we can protect our black seaports, but then we need to deliver grain from the middle of Ukraine, from the north of Ukraine, from the western parts of Ukraine, to deliver all that grain to the ports, and you need to have this infrastructure. And what they are doing, they are destroying it. Russia's attacks on grain facilities basically erase the farmers' final profits, says Boris Yureskul. For over three decades, he has been growing wheat, barley, rapeseed and corn on his 15,000 hectares. This year we got a very good harvest, but the result of our work depends not only on the harvest, but on the market prices as well. After Russia's shelling of Ismail and Rani ports, the prices first rose a little, and then immediately dropped by some 20%. Dekun is certain Russia's attacks have two aims – to damage Ukrainian farming infrastructure and the Ukrainian economy. If we compare Ukraine with other countries like United States or EU countries, the agricultural GDP in those countries is from 1 to 3 percent. In Ukraine, it's more than 17 percent before the war and 50 percent of currency revenue for the country. So it's very vital for our economy and very vital to win this war. Dekun has a defensive strategy, however. He wants to mount small radars and searchlights on these pickup trucks to detect the Shahed drones at night and then machine gun them down. We all like want to fight and what we can do is to help to like to buy pickups and help to establish all that mobile groups which will fight against Shahids. And uh, we calculated together with uh, military experts that for our region, in order to protect ourselves, we need at least 50 such groups. Until that happens, Dekun says grain farmers are reluctant to deliver their product to the country's large storage elevators because they could be Russian targets. Anna Kostuchenko for VOA News, Odessa and Cherkasa regions, Ukraine.
You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kaleba held talks with his South African counterpart Naledi Pandor in Pretoria on Monday amid criticism of the government's official neutral stance on the war with Russia. Kate Bartlett reports Pandor used her opening remarks to focus more on the conflict in Gaza than the situation in Ukraine since Moscow's invasion. The conflict in Gaza rather than the war in Ukraine dominated a press conference in Pretoria following a meeting between Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba and his South African counterpart Naledi Pandor. It was Kuleba's first visit to South Africa as he tries to show up support for Kyiv on a continent where Moscow holds considerable influence. Pretoria has officially remained neutral on the Ukraine war, but critics, including U.S. officials, have accused the South African government of essentially siding with Moscow. South Africa's Pandor expressed her desire to see a peaceful, negotiated end to the war in Europe. We are deeply concerned, uh, Minister, about the continuing war between Russia and Ukraine, the continuing loss of lives and the very, very worrying humanitarian situation. While refraining from condemning Russia, Pandor repeatedly brought up Israel, saying at one point its response in Gaza was one of collective punishment. The South African government position has always been pro-Palestinian, and on Monday, an official in the presidency announced Pretoria was recalling its diplomats from Israel. Pandor also said the government did not appreciate recent comments made by the Israeli ambassador to the country and took a swipe at US ambassador Ruben Brigetti, who earlier this year accused South Africa of providing arms to Russia, a claim that was never substantiated. Well, the ambassador uh, of Israel has been making a number of comments almost akin uh, to the statements uh, that were made uh, without proof by the United States ambassador a few months ago. There seems to be a strange practice among some ambassadors in South Africa that they can just say what they like. She added that maybe that is because as an African country, they don't respect us. For his part, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Kuleba repeatedly used terms Pretoria voids on the Russian-Ukraine war, referring to the invasion and Russian aggression. He noted that as part of the former Soviet Union, Ukraine had supported South African struggle against apartheid and stressed that Kiev is trying to help African countries navigate food insecurity caused by the conflict in Europe. Kuleba said discussions with Pandora had been positive and opened a new chapter in Ukrainian-South African relations. He also expressed concern over the crisis in the Middle East. Asked by reporters if the situation in Gaza was drawing the world's attention away from Ukraine, he cautioned against comparing what is happening in Ukraine and what is happening in the Middle East, saying, people are people everywhere. Still, he said, it was true that many of the daily tragedies in Ukraine have become routine for media. We in Ukraine find it extremely painful to see how the deaths of civilians, the deaths of children, and other mass destruction remains unnoticed. But we understand that this is, this is how the world um, acts. But he said while the media's attention may have shifted, he did not think that Ukraine was receiving less political attention. Kate Bartlett, VOA News, Johannesburg. Radio Free Europe fears Russia has taken one of its journalists hostage for a potential prisoner swap with the United States and is appealing to Moscow not to treat her cruelly. Jeffrey Gedman is acting president of the U.S.-funded broadcaster. Our understanding through our channels is that her mood is good 
that her health is good. She's in a difficult situation and uh, in an unappealing uh, environment, but uh, she's quite high in energy and hope. And the message she sends out is she wants to get home to her family in Prague. And of course, we want that too. I think that is unlikely. Is it impossible? No, nothing's impossible. And you know, what we want to do is we want to appeal to the Russian authorities. They need not be cruel to a woman and a mom, kids who does mostly culture reporting, who wanted to visit her LG mother for one last time. Alsu Karmasheva, a Russian-American journalist, has been in custody since October 18th. She was earlier briefly detained in June while trying to fly out of Russia after visiting her mother. She is the second U.S. journalist to be held in Russia since the start of the Ukraine war in February 2022. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just be sure and follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London.